Hi there, and welcome to another episode of Dr. Dark After Dark. We're up to episode 13, and this is just going to be called Brrrr, um, which is the sound of the quote-unquote Fed's printing press. So, a little tongue-in-cheek, of course, calling it that. But there's a serious point here. I want to lay out from basically start to finish what really happens, because... I found that basically what really happens when we're printing, money printing, QE, treasury issuance, how money supply changes, because I actually haven't seen anyone put it all together. Um, I'm sure people have, but I thought it would be, this is kind of my understanding. And it's logical, the numbers add up. Um, and yeah, if you think I'm wrong, let me know. So... I'm going to start right at the beginning from treasury auctions and then we're going to end up looking at how money supply is affected. Because the kind of the meme online is, of course, that the Fed just goes brrrr and stocks go up. And it, it's there is no like direct link like that. It, it, it's not like that. Um, but anyway, let's talk it through. Don't get me wrong. There's absolutely money because of all because of the qe there is money going into stocks but it's indirect um and it's actually all to do with the treasury not the fed so anyway let's start at the beginning so let's understand what happens is there's treasury auctions so these happen actually a lot uh, you can see on any calendar like trading economics it will have various uh, it will actually say when the auctions are for maybe it's for uh could be for four-week treasuries, which are bills, or 30-year bonds, or whatever it is, or tips, or whatever. And there's two parts to the auction. There's a competitive and non-competitive bit. It doesn't really matter for the purposes of this about those. If you're interested in how the actual auction works, it's a Dutch auction, uh, You can. Uh, there's lots written about this online. Uh, in fact, on the New York Fed website, there's a good primer. Um and what happens is, but all we need to know for this is there's an auction, let's make it really simple, and the treasury, so Steve Mnuchin's department, says, okay, we need to sell a billion dollars of, let's just say, 30-year uh, bonds, just to make this simple, um, and, and, and they need that money for something. But they have to get real money. Um, and so... They can't get real money off the Fed because the Fed can only create reserves, which we talked about before. So the Treasury needs to get real money from the market. Um, and this is money that is spendable because they have to fund their programs. This could be a stimulus program. It could be an infrastructure program. It could be uh, paying Stephen Mnuchin's salary or whatever. So what happens is the auction happens, and let's just say, for the sake of argument, everyone's going to be getting a 1.5% coupon on their 30-year treasury. Okay, so what happens is, uh, generally within a day or two, I think it's going to be next day, you, you get a uh, basically the settlement where, in order to be in the auction, you, and it can be you, an individual, um, an individual can participate... Or, but it's mainly institutions that normally do this. So it could be institutional investors or indeed, of course, the primary dealers, i.e. the big banks. 
Um, but you know, foreigners are involved in this too, foreign governments. And there's broadly two types of accounts you can have. You can have a Treasury Direct account, which is an individual account. So if I, Chris Dark, wanted to buy um, some of you know a portion of these one billion uh, of of thirty year bonds, I would need a Treasury Direct account, um, and I would have to put money into it, real money from the money supply. Remember, the money supply is all the physical currency plus the basically deposits that have been created by banks, i.e. from loans. It does not include the reserves at the central bank. The monetary base, which is often talked about, is the reserves held at the central bank plus the physical currency. So they overlap with just the physical currency, which, by the way, is a very small part of it all. So um, you know, physical currency is, 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 a, is a pretty small number compared to everything else, uh, like a few percent. Anyway, the other type of account you can have is called a TAPS account. This is for institutions. Um, it, it really doesn't matter. You basically have an account with the treasury and you have to put money in the account. And what happens is they just like buying anything. You're going to buy um, the bond uh, off them. And they will transfer your ownership of the bond into your uh, account. And then you own the bond. Okay. And then if it's a 30-year bond, they're going to pay you a coupon every uh, six months. Um, and it's going to be 1.5% of the face value. There we go. And at the end, you get your money. You get the principal payback. Bearing in mind bills, by the way, and the, uh, the short-term stuff, uh, they actually just issue you at a discount. They don't actually pay coupons. They're a little dis different. doesn't really matter. Anyway, so... The, so what happens now is, so say it's me that bought it. Okay, well, I now have this treasury and I can obviously do what I want with it. I can ultimately put it into, I can put it into my um, broker and I could sell it or keep it or I could just get the coupon every month, right? Fine. That's right, every six months. Um, but also, of course, one of the main people who have bought these treasuries are going to be the US-based primary dealer banks. And... This is where the Fed comes in. So these banks now have treasuries on their balance sheet and they're going to sell them to the Fed. So just some amount of time. So they, the banks have paid for them with money and now they're going to be sold to the Fed. So now we're to, now the treasury has nothing to do with anything. The treasury has their money and it's real money and they can go and spend it however they want. And we'll talk about that more later because that does get in the money supply. Um. And so one could argue, therefore, can be inflationary, right? That's kind of where we're going with this. Um, and so the banks have a bunch of treasuries uh, and they know they can sell it to the Fed. Let's say a week passes and then the, the Fed's going to um, basically buy those treasuries, 30 treasuries off the bank. Say it's JP Morgan and the Fed pays for this by issuing reserves to the bank. So this is not money that can be spent, but it is um, it is a unit of account. You know, a dollar of reserves is like a dollar. It sits in the master deposit account at the Fed. You can see it on any bank's balance sheet. It is an asset. Um, and um, what is commonly, this is where, so nothing too complex so far. Um, 
and and the Fed does create. It's really Fed credits. They are creating those out of thin air. So this is the kind of moment of creation of the kind of money because when buying off the treasury that's all money that's already in circulation um and so what theoretically can now happen is prior to march the 15th this year where things changed um there was a reserve requirement uh, so i.e banks had to have a certain amount of reserves uh to basically cover um the deposits that they have um and um, and actually, most deposits come from loans. So you can basically argue, well, okay, so if they have more reserves, they can, in effect, issue more deposits, i.e. make more loans. And that is another way, of course, of increasing the money supply because deposits are counted in the money supply. Um, except on the 15th of March 2020, the Fed got rid of the reserve requirement. The reserve requirement is zero. And if you look at the chart on FRED, if you just look at the chart that shows excess reserves, you'll see it goes up gigantically on that day because suddenly all reserves held at the Fed were excess reserves because the equation is really simple. It's You had a reserve requirement and then anything above that was an excess reserve. Well, now there's no reserve requirement, so all your reserves are excess reserves. So, But, but this doesn't really have anything to do with banks lending more. Because as you can also see on Fred, and again, just just spend the time to look at it, and then you'll 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 understand it more. Just just search on Fred for tightening or tightening standards, and just look at the one that say says tightening standards for commercial and industrial loans to large and middle market firms. This is kind of main one, and you'll see that in every recession, the net percentage of domestic banks tightening their standards for loans, i.e., making fewer loans, spikes and increases. Uh, we're going through an exact same spike now. It's up to 40% in the Great Recession. It went up to, sorry, the financial crisis went up to 80% were tightening. We're at 40. Uh, the next data point will come out. Well, it's actually a quarterly data point, so we're not going to get one for a bit because it comes from a senior loan officer survey, which is quarterly, which is a really interesting survey to read. Um, so it doesn't matter if, if I'm JP Morgan, if I have 10 million, 100 10 million, 10 billion, 10 trillion of reserves right now. They're all excess reserves by definition because I don't actually need reserves. Um, now that's different to other liquidity requirements that I need. So, but let's not get into all that here. Um, at the end of the day, it's up to the loan officers of JP Morgan whether they issue loans or not. Now, um, now before March the 15th this year, where there were reserve requirements, that was not the constraining factor for banks lending. So getting rid of the reserve requirements didn't really do really anything. Um, and remember, it's crucial if we're talking about the whole deflation inflation thing, you know, we need to know how real money, so not reserves, not Fed credits, gets into the real economy to actually be spent uh, because, you know, to, to drive up prices, right? With the core equation, Right, which we talked about before, basically price times volume of goods sold. Um, um, right, is equal. Uh, oh, I'm gonna just gotta get this right. Equal to the um, money supply times velocity of money. Let me just double check.
Yes, correct. So, um, sorry, I just had a my kind of a mind blank there, thinking I was getting that wrong. So, yeah, as the so if there was a big increase in in uh, money supply and the quantity of goods and services are constant, and velocity of money is constant, you'd expect prices to go up. Of course, we talked about velocity of money a lot last time, <laughs> um, and it's certainly not constant at the moment. So, okay, so so forty percent of banks at the moment so on a net basis 40 percent are getting tighter um, in terms of their lending so that means they're lending less um overall now there are some exceptions like the commercial industrial loans which were um all that's just based on revolvers that were already approved so that wasn't a lending decision if you have a revolver you can tap it any time without getting an extra approval um it would be now harder for you to get a revolver if you hadn't got one before. Okay, so let's now move on to, I think the best one to use is called MZM. So it's money of zero maturity. Again, go to Fred, type in MZM, and you will see the MZM money stock. So this is defined as M2, uh, and then you're going to... Uh, money supply and then you're going to add institutional money market funds and you're going to take away small time deposits. So what is MZM? It's uh, a slightly newer measure which is really looking at the most it's the most liquid measure of money because it's M2 plus institutional money market funds which are super liquid. This is you know a lot of corporates or institutions hold. And you're taking out small time deposits. Well, time deposit by definition is not liquid because it's in the time deposit. So, um, so MZM is really... So let's just now look at how it's moved. So you look at the chart and then you can um, use the little bar at the bottom to just zoom in on um, more recent months only. And if you go to say, let's just take the end of January, which is 27th of January, 2020, as the kind of pre-COVID benchmark. It doesn't really matter. You could use mid-Feb too. The numbers are the same, but whatever. End of Jan. And then you can see that it it was at um, $17.2 trillion. And now it's gone up. And it was just updated, literally two days ago. Uh, but it's been updated until the 1st of June, because there's a little lag. So it's at $20.9 trillion. Okay, so $17.2 trillion to $20.9 trillion. Well... You don't uh, need to be a genius to work out the difference between the two is 3.7 trillion. That's the delta. So what is that 3.7 trillion? Again, there's other components, but let's do the big things that have changed. And one can see the big things that have changed by going to uh, the H8 form that I tweeted about today. Um, and you want the um, se uh, seasonally adjusted parts where you have the, the basically the total amounts of, of, of assets and liabilities of uh, domestic banks. And so, um, because remember, this is the money supply of the US dollar system, the onshore system. This isn't the euro dollar system, which is actually much larger, which is foreign banks that have created dollars. No one really knows how big that is. There is no, you know, US does a really good job of um, tracking all this. So again, this is even more complexity to it all, right? But this is all domestic US dollars. Um, which, by the way, for the purposes of banks, are now not fungible. 
with euro dollars, um, i.e. offshore dollars. They used to be, but now they're not. So if you're uh, JP Morgan, the London the European division, uh, basically euro dollars they hold there can't be used um, for the requirements they have in the US, which wasn't used to be, didn't used to be the case. So we have a uh, 3.7 trillion delta. Okay, so let's look at now three things, commercial industrial loans. So longer listeners or people who followed me know that I like this metric and it's gone up from end of Jan. It was about 2.3 billion or so. And it's gone up to three, sorry, 2.3 trillion. <laughs> it's gone up to 3 billion. It's actually come down a bit recently. It's actually rolled over. This is the people getting, the, this is corporates pulling their, getting their revolvers. So these were already decisions that were made from a credit perspective before they were pulled. I, I, I pulled it as the, um, as the treasurer or the CFO of a corporate. So this is not affected by the tightening. So there's 700 billion of extra um, money here, which is created um, that's going to be in the um, MZM. And then we have, uh, if you look at the um, institutional, remember we said it included institutional money market funds. Well, you can uh, go to Fred, look at institutional money funds. And you'll find that it went up from about 2.3 trillion before to about 3.3 now. So it's an extra trillion. And the big one is deposits. So deposits went up from by about 2 trillion. So we're talking from about 13.4 to 15.4 trillion. And, and there's other things that, but if you add these numbers together, you actually get 3.7 trillion um, exactly. Um, now, it's not perfect like that because um, CNI loans, uh, they're going to be issued and they'll be issued as deposits. You'd see, you know, there's overlaps, right? But there's other things as well. But broadly, it adds up is the point. Um, and so, and if you think about, so the increase in MZM, so the commercial industrial loans, well, this is, this is just money that's sitting on a, deposit sitting on a corporate balance sheet. That's not being invested in the stock market, unless they're buying back stocks. Using a revolver to buy back stocks would be, revolvers normally have a, you know, a, a, not a particularly great interest rate versus a long-term long debt. Um, but we know, you know, buybacks have reduced. So that would be a mechanism where, you know, how that, that extra money supply could get in the stock market. But, but we know there's way fewer buybacks right now. And that is not the most efficient way to finance a buyback with debt. Far from it. Okay, so we know the institutional money market funds. So they've basically, when you had the first risk-off wave, people fled to the dollar and people sold all sorts of assets. And, and of course, these deposits have to go somewhere. So this is what we're seeing here. So the big, you know, two trillion, sorry, one trillion here of extra institutional money market funds. Um, and then um, deposits. And of course, this is where we square the circle, we come full circle, because what happens when you get your check from the government? Whether you're an individual getting your $1,200 or whatever it is, multiple of that, to, to, um, if you're married and $600 per kid or whatever it is, well, you get a check and you deposit it, right? So this is where it shows up um, in, uh, in, in the money supply. 
And if you're a corporate getting some form of assistance, whatever it may be, it's ultimately got to get put into a bank account somewhere. So what you can see from this is that none of the, the Fed has not directly increased the money supply. It's increased the monetary base, yes, but not the money supply directly, but indirectly, yes. But that's all because of what the Treasury does, not because of what the Fed does. It's because Steve Mnuchin and Congress and Donald Trump, they've done these huge stimulus bills. All the Fed's doing is paying for those, in effect, sort of paying for them um, via creating the reserves. But it's, it's the actions of the Treasury that caused the money supply to go up by putting these checks out. Now, um, one could, of course, argue that, um, you know, and, and again, if we get to the deflation-inflation argument, well, a lot of the checks to individuals, well, some of the checks to individuals are because they're not working and they're going to use them to buy food. And, and so, therefore, there's, that's not inflationary at all because you're just replacing money they would have earned. There's no additional money. But, of course, some people are earning more um, and um, than they were when they were not working. Now, this can't go on forever. Um, and... Fairly obviously in the last couple of weeks, you know, one of the big memes online is the Robin Hoodies. And there is evidence and surveys out there that so people that didn't need the checks but got them anyway have been investing them in uh, mainly stocks. And actually, Robin Hood and other um, brokers have said that they've had a huge increase in this. Um, and so this is where um, money, but again, it's not, it, I think it's, the wrong way to look at it is the Fed goes burr and then money flows into Robin Hood accounts. It's not that at all. It's the Treasury has decided to issue stimulus. The Fed in effect funds that via the mechanism we've talked about, but it's because of the political decision from the Treasury, not anything Jerome Powell's done. He just he basically has to work lockstep with the Treasury. Um, and so, it, it, you know, it's, it's, it's really Steve Mnuchin goes burr. <laughs> um, and Congress. And by the way, one could argue, well, what's wrong with that? Because at the end of the day, Congress is de democratically elected. Um, and their election's coming up. And if you don't like it, vote, vote for different forms of change. Um, so this whole concept of, yeah, for whatever reason online, it, the burr never gets put with the treasury. It always gets put with the Fed. Like, and I mean like 99 times out of a hundred. Um, I, I'm not really sure why maybe the memes are better. Maybe it's cause it's just sometimes these things just, that's how it evolved. Um, and it's very hard to change a meme, right? When it happens. Um, so, you know, I kind of always think, you know, the, the whole concept of Fed and Burr and stocks is a little bit inaccurate, but it's a great meme. Um, so, you know, you can go to Fred, which is just the um, Federal Reserve Economic Data database. So it's stlouisfed.org. You just type in Fred Economic and it will come up on Google. There's tons of data in there. It's like awesome. And it's updated really regularly. Um, and, you know, so 
I didn't read this from somewhere. I just worked this out, um, checked it with a few different you know articles here and there. But you know, just checking the numbers, do they roughly make sense? They do. Um, so let's keep this pretty short. Um, so in summary, uh, it's. I think it is not correct to say. First of all, the Fed doesn't print money. That is an incorrect statement. It creates reserves. Um, and the Fed is not in any way... Well, okay, we're also putting to one side here the fact that they're buying some ETFs of corporate credit, high-yield credit. That's a whole separate episode. Let's put that aside. It's relatively small in the grand scheme of things. So let's put that aside. But just in, 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 in for, the, for the core thing about QE funding the stock market and driving it, the Fed, you know, it's 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 only doing QE because the Treasury has to, um, well, basically has more expenses, and right now those have gone through the roof due to the um, stimulus. And the various different types of sti types of stimulus seem to be popular, and I think were the right thing to do when you had this. Whilst the economy was getting weaker, anyway. You know, it certainly got popped by COVID. Um, and um, and so then you can look at the different f component parts of money supply and what's been increasing. Um, and you can look at M2 as well. And, you know, there's, there's, there's lots of different... Everyone has their favourite things, right? Um, but then you've just got to think about, okay, so are banks... Uh, are they really upping le new lending decisions? Right now, the answer is no. So that's like a not inflationary thing. Um, now, if you saw the institutional money market funds start to really go down, so they're basically leveled off at 3.3 trillion at the moment. Now, if this starts to really go down, then that money has to be going somewhere. Um, and that could well be going into risk assets. That would be, you know, it could also go into other assets, right? It could be going into non-risk assets. I mean, either things could happen. Uh, but again, it's a good thing to track. Um, and obviously deposits is complex, right? Because deposits are just, at the end of the day, it's it's the cash. Um, but they could be created by the bank or it could be, you know, money coming in from selling an asset. So, um, you know, it, it's, it's, it's much harder. And, and, and you can't go into, you know, yes, there's some extra detail, in the forms Fred, uh, the Fed puts out, but again, you can't you can't work out everything perfectly. Um, and so, QE doesn't um, directly cause the stock market to go up, but because there's government stimulus, and it may not be just the checks you've got, right? It could be infrastructure, it could be you know all sorts of stuff that leads to economic activity. And the government's inefficient, right? So it's not gonna, it's not 100% efficiency. So the money's gonna kind of get whittled down, and that's why you get. Um, and, and as governments get larger and less efficient, extra money has less and less impact. And law of big numbers too. Um, and of course, then you know, if you're building this bridge or whatever it is, yes, you will be paid, and that is money in the economy. Um, and you might buy stocks with that. So, yeah, again, this ultimately was all part of the whole trickle down idea. Um, except it doesn't trickle down very efficiently. And again, like we talked about before, this is one of the reasons why um, if you're a politician, you could, what I described might sound a bit complex. Uh, and if everyone just had their own Fed account, um, then in effect, we don't need any of the, the banks in all this. Don't 
really need the um well you don't even need the auction you get rid of the market pricing and that would be the bit that would require a change in the federal reserve act and i think chair powell has been very clear on this that he is zero intention of crossing over that i mean he basically knows his 10 years up at the end of this year right i mean whether Biden wins or Trump wins, either way, I don't really see how Powell stays. So I think he's just going to try and get to the end of the year without doing being, unless he's utterly forced by some event um, to, 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 to do, you know, to, and to change the Federal Reserve Act. Again, some could argue, well, they did the corporate bond thing. They found ways to get around the Federal Reserve Act. Yeah, maybe. But there's also, you know, it's, it's really not that big, the corporate bond stuff. In the grand scheme of things, if they, as he always says, we can lend and not spend. If all everything I just described got basically thrown away, um, and uh, we all had our individual Fed accounts, and money could be actual money that was spendable could be um, just directly deposited, um, then as I said before, all bets are off, and I'd be owning every hard asset you can, um, because inflation will come. Because politicians will never be able to not press the button for more burr. Um, if uh, they think there's basically no consequence in the short term of it. So, you know, interesting stuff. Uh, let me know if you've got any questions. And thanks very much for listening.